everyone. What a time to be alive. Uh, getting all the speakers on stage waiting for Rand to show up. But uh, I think that uh, everybody here is probably a little more exciting, excited than they were yesterday or even the day before, since this is, after all, the crypto town hall and not the macro town hall. Uh, anyone who attended last night, we actually did an impromptu spaces. Uh, I think it was around 8, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, my time and had an absolutely massive audience. So you can tell when uh, bullish price action hits uh, that uh, everything else seems to follow, including interest in the space and people wanting to to hear us yammer and talk about what's going on with Bitcoin. So just going to give uh, Rand a chance to get up here, uh, which should be happening imminently. But uh, Yago, uh, I want to talk first real quick as we get going here, man. I think it was Friday or Thursday that, that you were on and you gave one of the uh, greatest greatest explanations and quick speeches. It was a much more eloquent uh, way of presenting the same sentiment that I've been sharing about exactly why people needed to have at least a small bit of Bitcoin in their portfolio. Uh, discussing obviously the sharp, sharp ratio and the fact that it was idiosyncratic risk and that uh, it offers uncorrelated asset in your portfolio. Think we're seeing that in real time. What do you think? Yes. Uh, so Bitcoin's sharp ratio has gone up strongly, right? So just as a reminder to everyone, the sharp ratio is the ratio between risk and return. And so basically, you take the uh, returns you divide them by risk. That provides you with the sharp ratio. Um, and then you, what you want to do is you want to take that. Uh, risk, that risk is effectively a factor of volatility, right? So volatility provides you with the assessment of risk. Now, we all know that Bitcoin is an extremely volatile asset. Um, but it's volatility year in and year out for a decade and a half now has been sharply upwards. And that's the return part of it. Um, one of the big things that people frequently talk about with Bitcoin, and this is what we discussed last time, is they try to talk about Bitcoin as a hedge. Uh, because they'll say Bitcoin is an uncorrelated asset, and so you can use it as a hedge. And that is uh, a misunderstanding of what a hedge is. A hedge is a anti-correlated asset. In other words, it's a kind of asset that you will hold, which will go up when the rest of your portfolio goes down. Bitcoin is not so well behaved. Bitcoin does what it wants. Uh, so Bitcoin is an uncorrelated asset. And that doesn't mean that when other things are going up, Bitcoin will go down. Um, and it also doesn't mean that when other things are going up, Bitcoin won't go up. What it means is that over um, any time frame that you choose to look at it, especially long time frames, Bitcoin is going to behave idiosyncratically. It's going to behave um, in an uncorrelated way, unrelated to what the other assets are doing. And um, the last part of that is what brings you to the sharp ratio. So what you're trying to do when you're investing is you're trying to get the best possible sharp ratio. You can have a very high return portfolio, which is all lottery tickets, but the risk is so high that your sharp ratio is going to be extremely low. So that's a poor investment. And you can have um, dollar bills tucked under your mattress, uh, and that's zero volatility, uh, except for inflation, which slowly eats away at the value. So that also has a shitty sharp ratio. So what you want is something which is going to have some volatility, and that volatility is going to trend towards the outside. And Bitcoin is the best asset uh, of all assets that we're aware of in terms of its sharp ratio. So its sharp ratio has always moved between two and four, which is unheard of. So real estate 
has a sharp ratio of just over one. Uh, um, stocks have a sharp ratio of just 1.3, which is considered the best of traditional assets. Um, Bitcoin is between two and four. And that actually, even amongst crypto assets, Bitcoin has the best sharp ratio because while it has less volatility than say ETH, um, in terms of the returns that you get for the volatility, it is better. And then the final piece of this, right, is that the best way that you get the best possible portfolio is not to have just one asset, but it is to have a collection of assets which average out uh, with their volatility. In other words, you want to have as many uncorrelated assets as possible because volatility averages out. It goes to zero the more you average it. And so when you look at the most uncorrelated asset, it's Bitcoin. So Bitcoin is the best sharp asset ratio in two ways. First of all, on its own. And second, as part of any portfolio. Absolutely love it. Rand, I have to say, uh, hey, I was just watching your show before this, but you've been saying over and over and over again that when we get the ETF approval, we're going to see a God candle straight to 40,000. So is this the God candle in advance of even getting it? And do you still think that when we actually get the approval, we get another God candle? Still not. Still not, still not, still not. There's still another one. I think, I'm, I, I, as I said before, I think 50,000 is my target for when the ETF gets approved. Um, I think you have to understand the dynamic of what's going on here now. Yesterday, when we were on the show, I said to you that we had um, the CME futures open interest going up. Yesterday was another record day. Then uh, we now got options, uh, Bitcoin options in the highest uh, open interest that they've ever had. So... Um, you, you're now seeing, you're now basically seeing the Wall Street people um, buying everywhere that they can. And actually, the only thing that's not going up is the crypto-related open interest. That's all that killed. Most of it was short and got liquidated in the in the candle. Now, I must say, I must tell you a little, a little funny story about this God candle that we had last night. So I went to bed and I realized something was happening, and I tried to delay going to bed, but eventually at like twelve o'clock at night my time. I, fig I figured, look, I, I better try and get some sleep. I've got to be up at like six in the morning, so I better try and get some sleep. At two o'clock in the morning, I woke up to go to the toilet and I made a terrible mistake. I used my phone as a torch. And I walked to the bathroom. And as I walked to the bathroom, I saw the guard candle. And then obviously at that point, I knew I wasn't going to go to sleep. And then I saw that you guys were live on Spaces. And I was like, now you want to talk about, you want to talk about like the height of FOMO? The height of FOMO is... 2 a.m., you're supposed to be sleeping, you see a guard candle, and then you see Scott and Mario doing a spaces without you. I was like, this we weren't cannot trying be to happening. We, we weren't trying to do it without you in, in, in our defense. No, no, we, no. You know, I, think, <laughs> I think you guys did it. I mean, I wish I was awake. All I'm saying is, can you imagine the, the, the level of FOMO when all of a sudden you see the guard candle, you have zero context as to what's going on, and you see a spaces with 10,000 people. On and you, can you imagine the level of FOMO that I had at two o'clock in the morning? Anyway, rest assured that there was no more sleep after that. There was zero sleep after that. It was, it was game over. It was game over. <laughs> well, I, I hope your sleep improves if the bull market uh, continues because we all know how bad you could suffer uh, when, when things really, really start to kick in. So uh, interesting, though, that you think that this is sort of the, the pre-advanced part. So do you think then... Uh, I want to ask you, and maybe we'll we'll kick this around. I actually want to go to some of the TradFi people we have here, Nancy, Gordon, and, and Ross after this. But um, uh, do you think now we kind of had a space last week where we said that higher low was canceled, that 30% retrace you always get in the halving cycle 
is canceled. I mean, do you think we're completely out of the woods at this point? For, yes. You know, that digital yeah, yeah. 20, 19, 17. Hot knife through butter. That's where it is. We said if we break that 31,800, it's a hot knife through butter to 37 or 38,000. Now there's a hot knife through butter. You're basically seeing it. You know, like we haven't got the ETF yet. The stocks are going crazy. Again, barring some massive event, and when I say massive event, ETF denial um, slash uh, World War Three slash absolute US collapse, I don't see this market coming down and uh, for, for a long time. Remember, the only um, uh, application that's actually got a ticker symbol at the moment is one of them, which is the the the... The BlackRock one. IBTC. Like, yeah, IBTC, exactly. But what about the rest? There's still seven or other, how many, how many other applications are there right now in the system? Six, seven? Yeah, even Gary didn't know. He said eight, ten in his last interview. <laughs> so, Correct. So, uh, yeah, Correct. Exactly. Yeah. I think you got to keep your eye on that and you got to keep your eye on Coinbase as well. I think Coinbase is, is probably a big no-brainer at this point. It, it is up a lot to death. It's, so, like yeah, but it's finally up. I was just going to mention the fact, and this will maybe help us segue into talking more uh, about what Yago was saying about uh, portfolio construction and where Bitcoin maybe fits in. The, the news, just for anyone who missed the spaces last night, I don't want to take for granted that people don't know what's going on who are listening here. We had Bitcoin already up. 30,000, 31,000 yesterday morning, uh, which was already pretty big because it had filled up the entire wick from the fake news Bitcoin uh, spot ETF from a week ago. But what we really had yesterday that seemingly is, uh, it, it, Rand, your mic is hot. I uh, gotcha. Um, what, what we seemingly had that really sparked this bigger move from you know 31 to 35 was the fact that, as Rand just said, we now have a ticker IBTC, which means that iShares Bitcoin Trust, which is BlackRock, is appearing on the Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation, the DTCC website. So this is indicative of the fact that whether they know they're getting approved or are getting approved, maybe they are not getting approved, BlackRock thinks they're getting approved and they're moving forward with the next steps. And the next part of that narrative that I think gets people really excited is that the filing vaguely mentioned that seed creation baskets for the ETF would be purchased in October, subject to certain conditions. Just for context, when you see this step taken in the ETF process, when someone's preparing for approval, they usually start to buy. It can be in very small amounts, guys. So this does not mean that BlackRock's buying billions of dollars in Bitcoin, but they start to seed the fund basically saying that BlackRock is actively going to be buying Bitcoin. That could be one Bitcoin, right? So (laughs) this is a narrative-driven thing. But clearly, BlackRock believes they're moving forward. And I think that means that a lot of people are coming in to try to front run that news and get ahead of it. And that's the buying that we're seeing. But but before we dig deeper into that, since we have Nancy, since we have you, we've spoken, obviously, on the TradFi spaces many times. Where do you think, in context of this move, maybe it changes nothing for you, but where do you personally think that Bitcoin fits in a portfolio or if at all? Not sure. No, there you go. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, hey, it's uh, Nancy Davis. Um, thank you very much for having me up. It's uh, my first time joining the space. I uh, I think, um, you know, I'm not allowed to give financial advice. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm the portfolio manager for the uh, quadratic interest rate volatility and inflation hedge ETF, IVOL. And I would say coming at it from, you know, 
ETFs I see as really democratizing financial markets and giving access to for everyone, whether you're a pension fund, an endowment, an individual, you know, anyone can access ETFs um, really around the globe to their global product. And so I think I really believe in the fund technology of having, you know, liquid securities in a public fund wrapper. And I think just like anything else, it's important to have diversification, right? Just having your financial portfolio, your life savings being in stocks and bonds only, you know, is not, I think, the way of the future. And so I think um, whether it's holding, you know, volatility, my fund is actually long interest rate volatility. I think that's a nice diversifier. I think um, all, you know, just lots of different things are super important because when the portfolio is all making money together, it's not correlated. <laughs> and the reason you want correlation to be low and to have these non-correlated assets is because you want something to be able to go up when other things are going down. And so I do think, you know, I'm not a uh, Bitcoin or crypto expert. I do, we'll get you. Don't worry. I do we'll own you. it personally. Um, in full disclosure, um, I have some in my uh, my portfolio. I have all sorts of things. Um, you know, including uh, including Ival. I'm a holder of my own ETF as well. But I do believe in just trying to be as diversified as possible because we just don't know what the future is going to hold, and it's a really tricky time with um, the fiscal situation in the U.S. and potentially having a stagflationary environment um, coming out, which is kind of what the price action was in 2022 when stocks and bonds sold off together. That's really dangerous for, you know, people's life savings, right? So I think having non-correlated assets is super important. And um, I'm happy to be on the spaces and answer any questions. I'm not, again, a crypto expert. I can answer questions about volatility, interest rate, inflation-protected assets, those sorts of things. Well, interestingly, so it really comes down to then, you you clearly agree with Yago's general assessment of portfolio construction and having assets that are uncorrelated or idiosyncratic in your portfolio. So then it just comes down to for each individual to determining what they believe those assets are, correct? Like, obviously, Bitcoiners believe that. You might believe that, uh, you know, volatility. Um, but to me, the real story there is that 60-40 is just dead. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I agree with the sharp ratio um, comments earlier. I'm not, I haven't checked the data on that, so I'm not sure if I agree with that. And I would, I would just caution, you know, kind of any sort of sharp ratio depends what the risk-free rate is. Like, a lot of these markets use the 10-year treasury as risk-free, you know, the CAPM model being the most famous. And that's like foolish because all investing involves risk. You know, the 30-year treasury lost more in 2022 than the NASDAQ. Um, so nothing is risk-free in the market. So I'm not sure, I, I wouldn't just go on, you know, and it's also what happened historically, right? We just don't know what's going to be happening around the corner. And that's why I hate using things like sharp ratios or other things, because it's it's making assumptions that the future is going to look like the past. And so I think it's just super important to have non-correlated assets. And the thing is, we just don't know what's going to be non-correlated in the future. You can look at performance historically and say, look, this behaved differently. This was up when this is down. And I think that's really the key is having diversification. And I do agree that that 60-40 portfolio 
is, you know, is dead and you have to have more things to protect your, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's all our life savings. And it doesn't matter if you're, you know, a doctor, a nurse, a bus driver, a a professional investor, everybody needs diversification in their portfolio. Right. So, I mean, I assume that applies to any asset, right? Forward looking, you can never know what's going to happen. So you take your best guess based on the past price action. Yeah, go ahead. Clearly, you want to respond there. And then I want to go to uh, Gordon and Ross. Yeah, surprisingly, despite the fact that Nancy was uh, supposedly disagreeing with me, I completely agree with her. Uh, The challenge is always trying to figure out what's going to happen in the future. So just because something was uncorrelated in the past or performed well in the past doesn't tell you very much about how it's going to perform in the future. And I, for that reason, I think it's important to remember that while price is very sexy and it's what gets attention, price is a confusing metric. It, 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 it blinds us to value. And what we should be looking for is value. And so my assessment around Bitcoin, while it's supported by its historically powerful uh, returns and its excellent sharp ratio, is actually not driven by those things at all. It's driven by what I perceive to be Bitcoin's value. And Bitcoin is an extremely uncorrelated asset precisely because it is so valuable. And what makes it valuable uh, is that it's totally different from everything else. It's an asset that you can own by yourself. Uh, it's an asset that no one can stop you from transacting in. It's, an, it's the, the first and only and most well-established asset which provides people with true digital ownership. And as we exist in a more and more digital world, um, and as we exist in a more and more volatile and risky and frequently scary world, the ability to actually directly own something has something that you aren't just don't have just the beneficial ownership of, but is controlled by BlackRock. It's something that you can directly own. It's becoming more and more apparent and more and more important to everyone. And as that becomes more apparent, um, more and more people, more and more portfolios are migrating to that asset. Where a world that is in desperate need for some kind of stability, for some kind of real gold standard. And the gold standard of our day is Bitcoin. So my view is don't let price confuse you. Look at the value. Look at all of the exciting things that are happening in Bitcoin right now. And really, it's it's an absolute renaissance. And if you can understand that, then you see the value and you base your assumptions on value rather than price. It makes sense. Gordon, I would love your thoughts uh, on, A, what's driving this and your view on where this may fit into a, a portfolio or even in context of a macro asset. Yeah, sure. Um, thanks for having me up. It, it seems like, and none of this is advice, it's just my opinion. It seems like clearly what's driving this is you know, institutional involvement. Um, uh, and you're probably not going to like our view on Bitcoin, but it's it's been the same forever uh, you know i'll quote the the great charlie munger in saying uh you know uh bitcoin is rat poison squared um you know our view is that you know <laughs> bitcoin is effectively a, a a ponzi scheme um and you know i don't know if you want me to get into that i didn't know I, you guys are going to have me at the chat on bitcoin but I, I can get into that if you want to but i don't want to offend too many people because this sounds like a, a bitcoin bull room but with respect w- w- one thing i'll say is <laughs> You know, and I can get into why I think it's a Ponzi scheme. But one thing I'll say is like the prior guy just said, you know, Bitcoin, nobody can control your, your ability to transact in it. As soon as Bitcoin becomes a real risk to any fiat currency, uh, the government can immediately stop the acceptance of Bitcoin. And 
the reason why we believe in general, just very summarily, why we believe Bitcoin, Bitcoin has no value is it's technology that doesn't solve a real problem. It's simply used to speculate. It's not a real currency and can't act as a functional currency given there's fixed supply. All cryptos are effectively unregistered securities and private currencies historically have always been a disaster. That, that's our overall view. But if you want to get into uh, more detail, we can. I don't even know where to start. Lord have mercy. Somebody should introduce this guy. To, um, you know, somebody, uh, since I always argue with Gordon, somebody should introduce I, I this I guy should... to Larry Fink at BlackRock. Does anybody know who that is? <laughs> you know, I, I like responding to Gordon whenever whenever I get a chance. Go ahead, Ross. Um, you know, Gordon, I, I I certainly get your reticence to Bitcoin, but now that we've been doing this for, I don't know, what has it been like ten plus years? It's it's the law, it, you know. Besides Madoff, it's a pretty long running Ponzi scheme. And considering the fact the U.S. government owns eight billion of Bitcoin itself, and the fact that FTX and real frauds like Sam Bankman-Fried are actually in jail, shows that the currency itself is still a viable asset and one that has tremendous potential value. The value of Bitcoin, in my mind, is 100% related to the users. In other words, its utility is its value. And constantly, because of the fact that governments around the world are unable to run themselves correctly, Bitcoin's value continues to grow. And we see it in country after country of just extremely poor fiscal and financial management, whether it's Turkey or Argentina or many other places where the citizens lose all the value of their money because they trust their government. And in the United States today, our deficit is $2 trillion a year in our debt, $33 trillion, which was perfectly fine at 0 and 1% interest rates, but at 5% interest rates has the potential to bankrupt our country. And so a monetary system outside of governments existed up until 1971. And the fact over my lifetime that that was diverted was simply for the use of governments to spend money that they didn't have. So Bitcoin today has democratized finance on a global scale and its potential for many more users because of financial products like the ETF has grown tremendously because owning Bitcoin directly has become highly risky and very difficult for the average person. I agree 100% that it's a diversifier in a portfolio in a place that gold used to have in a portfolio. And so that could be anywhere from 0 to 10% of a portfolio. And that's why the ETF has so much opportunity for people, uh, and especially for Bitcoin. So the, the financial giant, I mean, ironically, the financial giants that Bitcoin was meant to subvert are now adopting Bitcoin because of its utility and because of the opportunity. And that's really what's going to bring Bitcoin to the next level. So now that we've you know, dealt with the pain of the frauds of so many of the people, of the people, the people are the frauds, Gordon, not the Bitcoin. And now there's this opportunity as we move into mainstream finance. Can I respond to that? Sure, of course. Yeah, uh, two things. Number one, I would... Very, very much so caution everyone who's so excited about, you know, governments and BlackRock and these large institutional investors getting into Bitcoin. What I'll note is if you look at the price of gold right now and you use the 1975 framework, the price should be around $25,000. And clearly it's not that. The question is why? And the answer is the U.S. government got in and effectively 
basically pin the price of gold at a level they saw fit. And because the U.S. government can print money um, and thus buy and sell gold as they see fit, they've depressed the price significantly versus where, again, based on the 1975 definition, it should be. So while Bitcoin is up today, I think people should be very cautious about the U.S. government getting in, number one. Number two, you know, crypto is a story that are bits of computer code uncorrelated with any real world asset. Um, it's a Ponzi because an investment without value is a Ponzi scheme. This isn't new technology. Blockchain is at least 30 years old. It goes back to 1991 when Stuart Haberman and Scott Stornetta were working at Bell Labs building off the work of cryptographers such as David Chom who built the blockchain, which is just a distributed leather, le uh, ledger. Nothing wrong with that. But if used to do crime, which clearly crypto is, it's a problem. The crypto industry um, would like us to believe it's in early days. But the truth is it's predicated on false ideas, i.e. crypto. Uh, you know, if crypto were to become a currency, it wouldn't be issued by the state. So it would be private money. Um, you know, so there's issues here, you know, historically. Based on how you just described gold. Then yeah. you're then you would you you just described gold as a Ponzi scheme. It, it's it's a bizarre. Uh, no, I, I didn't describe it. I, I didn't mention that it, at all. It, what it, I said is that you, no, no, you literally like, just said that effectively the government, you know, uh, and, and other entities um, are are you know taking control of the price of gold, and thus the same thing is going to happen with Bitcoin. You're 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 you're, you're running around on two sides of the argument. You know, uh, oh, don't get excited about a Bitcoin ETF and BlackRock because they're going to manage the price of it and control it. So is it a Ponzi scheme and going to zero or is it going to be controlled by BlackRock and the government? I, I'd also. Well, the other thing is, is gold is, prices. Is the the, the other question up. I have is why would an organization like PayPal be involved in a Ponzi scheme? These, these are bizarre at this point in the argument. This is just so far outside the bell curve that. Yeah, I don't know. It, 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 this is strange, honestly. Yeah, I must. I must. Admit, I, I don't know if you guys admit, have argued uh, with Gordon before, but that's common when you're arguing with Gordon. But secondly, the biggest Ponzi scheme I see is the U.S. dollar. If you're going to get serious, I was just going to say that. Yeah, uh, yeah, guys. I think we must encourage. Uh, I really do encourage debate here because I think that we are very much in in the crypto echo chamber. But I, I think the foundations for the for the um, for the debate should be logical and factual you know otherwise you know we can, if people are, are making crazy uh, statements here that are not you know that are not really backed by anything that, that i think that that kind of ruins the the floor for the debate so when i mean i'm really open to to debates but the debates are going to be like based on sound factual logical argument run the return of gold between 1971 and 2022 was close to eight percent annualized i just posted a graph uh a tweet with a graph in this room of, of what that kind of performance looks like. It's extremely good performance. It's the only uh, performance uh, close to from you know close to commodities or close to um, stocks that we've seen. And I, I think it's not fair to attack Gordon for his views. I think clearly what's driving his views. I'm not attacking him. Is, is no, 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 no. I, no yeah, yeah, just we, we need to be clear. Like Gordon's just too young to remember a time before fiat. Um, and, and so he has a certain naivety of the world, um, and, 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 and that's fine. And, and he is joining this space, I think, to, to educate himself. So gold has overperformed and outperformed 
most other asset classes, despite uh, uh, the U.S. Uh, decision to get rid of it. And um, Bitcoin is doing far better because it is a new emerging technology, which is more rapidly replacing what gold can do and can do it better. Yeah, I, I, I mean, agree, 100%. I mean, I don't know, Gordon. You mentioned that Gordon's too young. I'm not sure that he's much younger than you. I think the idea was that uh, Yago was alluding to the fact that the world used to use hard money for all of eternity before we left the gold standard and moved into a fiat-based system, correct, Yago? Fiat, fiat is a very new system, hasn't been around for very long, and isn't likely to continue to be around for very long. It's an aberration. It's not the norm. Yeah, if you look at the history of, of money, it always functioned around a global currency, which was gold. So, like, whether you were Spanish or French or whatever, you could just use gold coins and you would just remelt it down and stamp it yourself. So this period of time from 1971 to the present, where fiat currency was, you know, divorced from any real asset, that was a period of time solely to serve governments, but for no monetary purpose other than to print money that they didn't have. And so... You know, when you look at something like Bitcoin that was formed through the financial crisis, it actually makes a ton of sense, historically speaking. I'd love to get I'd love to get Gordon's thoughts on in a very serious way. Um, Gordon's thoughts on Larry Fink's, um, you know, comments on a consistent basis associated with the tokenization of securities and re real world assets on a go forward basis understanding and, and, you know, a flight to yeah. and, and that crypto is a flight to yeah and and starting with the 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 truth that larry fink doesn't sit you know uh uh at deal book and talk about um tokenization of assets because it's just he's having a good time right that 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 i'm i'm just interested in his thoughts there um I, I, I'm, I'm legitimately interested. I, you know, as, as a guy who's who's clearly skeptic of Bitcoin, I think there's big differences between Bitcoin and crypto. I, I probably would would side with with Gordon as it relates to crypto, and you know, the, there being a level of, of you know significant issues there. Bitcoin that's different. It's a reason why these you know global institutions have have put their arms around Bitcoin. But I, I, I am very interested in the fact that Larry Fink is clearly telegraphing that they're working on, you know, the next version of finance and BlackRock wants to lead in the same way that they've led in creating ETFs that now absolutely dominate markets and market structure. So I'd, I'd love to get his take on that. Yeah, I, I don't have endless amounts of time, so this will be my last comment because some of the comments that were just made border on the line of insanity in my view. But um, I, I guess the argument boils down to if Larry Fink does it, it's right, right? I mean, that's kind of what you're saying. And what I'll note is if you look at what Larry Fink said initially about Bitcoin, it was in line with what I'm saying. Um, he said it was basically a, a Ponzi scheme, and now he's saying that it's not. Uh, Larry Fink is in the business of making money, right? He's a private business and his Bitcoin ETF will make him money. Um, so for you to assume that because he does it, it's right, I think that could be, um, <laughs> that could be a false assumption, uh, and that you can get into a little bit of trouble. We're not talking about right and wrong um, or morality here. We're talking about what, what Larry Fink has said about the tokenization of securities right, you didn't and hear assets. what I just said. I just told you his initial comments were that it's a Ponzi fraud. I'm uninterested in his comments from five years ago. That doesn't matter now. What that he's wasn't saying five years today, ago. 
What anyway, are you saying look, today? The point is, you know, we've tried private money in the free banking era of the 19th century, and it was a failure. And it was a failure due to fraud. And the truth is, you know, Bitcoin, like I said, is not new. It's not new technology. The blockchain has been around for 30 years. And it's not the future of money. It's the past based on actual data, right? How long it's been around. You can, you know, Ross can insult me all he wants and others can too, but I'm, I'm just stating facts. But how do you call it private money? Sorry, I don't understand how you call it private money. Private money implies that there's some kind of private centralized issuer. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks. Thanks for the time. I, I don't. I mean, know. I mean, I mean, Gordon. I mean, I mean, with all due I asked a reasonable. Have, I asked a reasonable question based on, you know, the guys, largest Gordon, asset Gordon's manager leaving. on the planet. Yes. Right? Andrew, Andrew, we're going to okay. move on. Thank yeah. you. I, I think. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, I don't think we need to exhaust this, Gordon. Sure. Thank you. I appreciate your time <laughs> and, and sharing sharing your thoughts with us. Obviously, good, good to see you, Gordon. No, I mean, no, no, Scott, Scott. I have to put my foot down here and say, like, you know, with all respect to Gordon. Come here and make blanket statements. And then when the statements are challenged with logic and reason, either keep quiet or say, you know, I'm, I'm out of time and I can't do it. I mean, that's not, that's not what Crypto yeah. Town Hall is about. And, and, they're, and they're very, right, I agree with you. And there are very quick responses. I mean, some of the arguments are just nonsensical. I mean, people, uh, strong yeah, opinions we, we should, loosely held is probably well, the ethos of every Guys, guys, uh, guys I've been arguing with Gordon for like a half a decade of, about Tesla. I literally have a video of Gordon for the last 10 years telling me Tesla was a Ponzi scheme. So let's just keep it in perspective. Yeah. Yeah, That's how I, Gordon I just wanted the- to, yeah, Ross, not even to his comments. You know, I, I just wanted to sort of generally say that um, almost every uh, ardent supporter of Bitcoiners, of Bitcoin, specifically on the institutional side, was once a skeptic or, or dismissive, including Michael Saylor, right? Yeah, so including me, actually. Notion- including yeah. me. I started off in 2014 a complete skeptic. I said the same things Gordon said. I thought it was totally never going to work. And a bunch of guys convinced me who are now billionaires. And I invested in Bitcoin. And since I've been on this journey now for almost a decade. And I still feel like we're at the beginning. And the opportunity is massive. My firm has been working with Gemini for now years trying to build a program for individuals to own Bitcoin with help. And we've had so many challenges in the last year, but we're we're plugging forward, you know, and what I think is when institutions like myself, you know, I run the GK ETF and 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 this other very nice woman who runs her ETF and when it, it has democratized finance, that's why I started my ETF. And so the way I see it is a Bitcoin ETF will democratize a product that many individuals are just scared to buy now because they've been burned. And that's why the yeah. potential is so big in the ETF space. And many of my clients yeah. want it as yeah. an asset class for the diversification that we were talking about. So I just think that- yeah, You should do it every once on Ran, you have a hot mic and I can't mute you. Sorry, 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 well, sorry, uh, sorry. Full disclosure, I do not run an ETF, you know, for, for what it's worth. <laughs> I just find it, it's kind of baffling that people would 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 think I- I'm going to fade Larry Fink and BlackRock, who, for all intents and purposes, you know, are just, they're just they're literally undefeated, and, and there's reason there's reasons why they're undefeated, right? It's 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 just a strange just a strange way to go about you know looking at where we're at, right? 
And what I find very interesting is the, the lack of understanding of the nuance in the question that you asked. And I think that that's for a broader conversation, which people are focused very heavily on BlackRock's application for a Bitcoin spot ETF, which is one part of what BlackRock <laughs> is attempting to sure. do and say in this space. And so when you ask, people don't seem to forget that in March, when BlackRock put out their annual investor letter, there was a huge section, as you said, on tokenization of real world assets yeah. and that being the future of how TradFi operates. That has nothing to do with a Bitcoin spot ETF. And if you listen to his comments, he talks about that all the time, even more than he talks about the ETF. So yes, maybe he's circling, maybe there are certain things he can and cannot say. We all know that he says crypto instead of Bitcoin, right? right? But still, there, there's a greater understanding here than simply talking his book on a specific product that he's trying to get. Into. Yeah, that, that's not. Yeah, of course. He's smart enough from a, a you know regulators. Although I would I would suggest that the regulators and and for all intents and purposes work for him. But um, he's he's not dumb enough to step in you know step in the, the you know what as it relates to to, to regulators. Um, Andrew, do you think do you think that we should read into the fact that BlackRock's the only one that's got a, a ticker symbol and and none of the others have got a ticker uh, yeah, symbol? Do you think we could like absolutely? I I I said it when when the you know Bitcoin when when BlackRock first applied, right? That listen, you you can't their uh, history with ETFs is five seventy five and one. And that one was basically a, um, it wasn't even necessarily a denial. It was like a joint denial and pulling back. Um, so, you know, everybody wanted to jump on the fact that, well, BlackRock, they're now in line and there's a, there's, there's a, you know, a couple that may be ahead of them from a, n none of that matters when, when you're the biggest asset manager on the globe um, and you have the ability to make a, Listen, I, you don't want to overplay this because, you know, people get conspiratorial. But, you know, this is the kind of guy in a kind of organization that doesn't even have to come from Larry Fink. He can make one call to the SEC and say, OK, guys, you know what? We've, we've done our thing here. We moved around. We played around with it. We've done some stuff, but it's it's time. You know, we're going to do this now. So let's let's go ahead and, and, and work through it. So, yeah, QSIPs and DTCC. You don't, generally speaking, that stuff doesn't get walked back. You know what I mean? Like somebody go find me a time where uh, a coming ETF with a submission and application got a QCIP and registration with the DTCC. And a few weeks later, I said, oh, no, we're just kidding. Our bad. We, we didn't we didn't do enough due diligence here. That's that's canceled. We, we don't we don't like that one <laughs> from. From BlackRock of all people, like it doesn't happen. So, now. Andrew, in, Andrew, in your opinion, in your opinion, yeah. how far are we away from the ETF approval? Now that there's a QCIP number and there's a ticker symbol, like what are you what are you thinking? Here? So there, there's 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 one of two pathways where it either gets done in the next six weeks, or because we then get in December, we just push push it to January. It's one of those two. Yeah, my my. If I had to lay money, it be, on I mean, I, I know you say. If, I know, I know, I know. You say, I know you say within the next six weeks, but I mean, people are saying it could be as as, as early as today. I mean, uh, nothing would surprise me. Nothing would surprise me. Yeah, could. Be. Can, can I can I'm, I jump I'm, in here for a sec? Because because I got to run sure. out to 
when I started my ETF two years ago, I went to the New York Stock Exchange and I asked like the guy who one of the guys running the exchange and I said, what does it take to get a, a Bitcoin ETF going? And he said, oh, you know, this isn't going to happen until pricing and trading happens with the major market makers. And on the New York Stock Exchange, there's like four. OK, starting with Citadel. And so BlackRock, Citadel, Fidelity, Virtu, Merrill, you know, the main traders of assets in the stock exchange need to be able to make a, a real price for Bitcoin yeah. that can be standardized among all Bitcoin products. And that will be set by those market makers. The market makers is where they make the money. They don't really care about the Bitcoin as much as trading the Bitcoin and lending the Bitcoin. And Correct. so this Bitcoin will be approved. Do not be confused in any way. This will be approved. Now It's two years later, and now I'm looking at it going, these guys are starting to trade it. Why do you think Bitcoin's going up? Who's buying Bitcoin right now in scale? Who has the money and who has the balls to do that? And those well, are the Coinbase premium. There's a Coinbase premium there is, which is which shows that it's American specifically probably institutions. There is a, a CME uh, futures at all time highs, uh, open interest in futures at all time highs. I mean, it's obvious who's buying this thing. I think Ross would agree with me in what I'm about to say. I think one of the biggest markers that this is going to be approved and soon is the fact that Melvin Capital has put on a sizable short. That assumes <laughs> that assumes price discovery. That assumes price discovery. You're not making that, you're not putting that trade on if you think that Bitcoin is uh, manipulated by Binance. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think traditional firms you know, including myself, haven't really found an easy way in from the like buying and scaling client accounts in crypto. And that's why the ETF has so much potential because it's so scalable. Mm -hmm. That's correct. Uh, Rand, isn't the bigger questions you're asking who's buying in size? The, the bigger question to me is who at this point would sell in size? Well, they're not really selling because if you think about if you think about no, who's I, selling, I, I, I don't mean who's who's selling through the order book right now. I'm talking about theoretically when we know how much demand there is and buying, who could possibly counteract that? What seller is there in the market that could stop this? But they don't need to buy in size because they're buying they're buying futures. There's just like there's just I mean futures is unlimited. I was talking about the spot. Sorry, I, I'm talking about this move is obviously driven, as we've discussed, largely by spot buying. Right? You're talking about, but the it's not premium. really spot buying. It's it's not it's not it's not, there is spot buying, but the big move is happening on the CME futures. Understand? And, and, and there was and actually that's, and that's, yeah, that's unlimited. Did, obviously, did you see the thread from Alex Thorne in Tangible Coins? Because he somewhat uh, refutes that idea. I, we we had Josh Frank from the tie up here. And I privately messaged him and I said, what data do you have? He said, I have to go, but check this thread. And the contention on that thread in my private conversation with Joshua, unfortunately had to drop, was that actually, if you look deeper into it, this, this was largely a, uh, a, a that people were increasingly short gamma as the spot moved up and were covering so that this is actually more of a technical move and that a ton of that happened on OKX and actually in Asia, not in the United States. Have you, have you looked at that at all? I'm literally reading it as we speak probably share it above 
Can you hear Scott? Yeah, yeah. Can you hear me? I'm going to try to share the thread. Can you hear me? I couldn't hear you. I can hear you now. Can you guys all hear? Yeah, Scott? we can hear Scott. Yeah. Yeah, you, I think maybe okay. it was. Something, Will you just take me down? Hey, thank, thank you. All. I got. I got to run. Thanks Scott, for Scott. If you're right, this is Gary. Uh, if you're right, and that was a technical move, and not a spot Bitcoin ETF kind of pre-move. My God, what's going to happen? Uh, well, yeah, and then that and that lends back to the question that I somewhat asked Rand from the beginning. Rand, I don't know if you can still hear me. Um, but I that, can't. That I asked good, good. That I asked Rand in the beginning was was this the God candle or is this just uh, a no? No, this is the warm up to the God candle. Yeah, yeah. So you can see this thread above, which basically said that this was largely a, a, a result of uh, market makers, option market makers, being short gamma and having to cover. So. Gary, to your point, if that got us from 31 to 35, uh, watch out above. Yeah, I mean, you know, guys, we need people like Garden. Like, we want the gardens of the world here. I, I thought his comment about some of what we were saying is insane was pretty much showed his colors. But we want people late to the game. You know, you, like, we don't need all the – I like having people that come from the legacy world and they're still – pitch in the Ponzi scheme. This is a guy that clearly has not done much research on this product. Um, I, I mean, he sounded really, really articulate, but I think you're going to have a lot of people that represent him. The people that come to these rooms, we're all pretty pro. Um, I think there's a large population of smart people that just have not come into this space yet. It, that, that, in that point about them being, you know, TradFi guys, that's why I asked the question of Gordon associated with how do you how do you make sense of the ultimate TradFi guy, you know, not only talking about Bitcoin, bringing a spot Bitcoin ETF to market, and then you know going from place to place talking about tokenization of real world assets. How do you square that reality? Yeah, doesn't make it, sense. It, it's it it. He he's effectively intentionally putting blinders on and saying. He didn't really say that. It's a it's it's a fake. I mean, I, well, well, in the private money, yeah. the private money comment, right? Like, like to me, yeah. we should be using the word political currency and Bitcoin because to me, it's not fiat. People don't really understand what fiat is. It's political yeah. currency. There, there are a lot of. By the way, there are a lot of things that failed in the eighteen seventies that are not relevant today uh, as lessons. By the way, you know, like uh, they didn't have medicine. I don't know. I, an argument that private currencies failed uh, centuries ago does not seem to indicate what's possible with uh, new technology. I just think that's the most nonsensical argument. Uh, lawyer, I saw you had your hand up before. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say that, you know, I think it is really important to have people um, on the other side in here. It's just too bad when they when the arguments are, you know, based on emotion and words like Ponzi scheme with zero explanation of why this would be a Ponzi scheme. Things that just don't hold up anymore. But I would love to get some, you know, if there's anyone in here who has a proper argument, you know, that's that's what we should talk about. I totally agree. Patrick, any thoughts on anything? Scott, I can't hear anybody. I can't hear anybody. Maybe if you could just take me down and bring yeah, me back I'll, up. I'll, I, can't, I can't hear anybody. I'll, I'll do that. So, yeah. Patrick, then Carlo, please. Uh, yeah, I thought it was interesting, uh, some of the comments about the technology not being new. And I know we're trying to move on from this. But if, but if you want to argue that, Bitcoin or crypto or smart contracts isn't new technology, then you're basically disagreeing with a lot of people who built the internet as we know it, right? People like Elon Musk, Peter Thiel, Mark Cuban, I mean, hundreds of other uh, tech founders. 
And so, so to argue that, I think someone has to has to try to make the case that all of these people somehow are wrong and fooled. And I don't think there's there's a realistic case to be made for that. Ran the cryptos, but I've asked them to do it. Go go ahead, Car uh, Patrick. If you're done with your point, go ahead, Carla. Yeah. Good morning. Thank you, Scott. You know, you cannot deny that this technology is here to stay, and to suggest that blockchain technology is not going to be the future. I mean, AI and the authenticity of information that we're seeing with respect to deep fakes is literally going to rely on blockchain to verify the truth of what we're looking at. This technology is going to be embedded in virtually everything we do, and we can see that by the fact that many, many big brands are starting to take their rewards programs on chain, starting to take their membership programs on chain. But setting all that aside, this is more of a question for the panel. Is this ETF a good thing for Bitcoin in the sense of, yes, you're going to have this fund buying up tons of Bitcoin. Possibly that's going to drive up the value of Bitcoin. But at the end of the day, the people who are buying into this fund are not actually owning Bitcoin. And the underlying premise of why Bitcoin is so valuable is the fact that it's a hedge against institutional wealth. So my question, the broader question is, is owning a piece of an ETF for Bitcoin going to be better than owning literal Bitcoin? And why would you why would you choose to do that? I know it's easier for the investor to not have to set up a wallet and so forth. But educate me on what is the benefit of the ETF versus just buying Bitcoin? I think that there's a lot of reasons. Uh, a, there's a lot of people who can't directly buy Bitcoin and can't do it certainly through an IRA or through um Merrill Lynch or Schwab or wherever they, they trade. So I think that for a lot of people, that's a huge part. Obviously, when it comes to custody and security, a lot of the biggest uh, institutions, pension funds, endowments, the real wall of institutional money, they're not going to throw it on a wallet, right? And, and we and we know that uh, some of our trusted crypto custodians, and I put trusted in air quotes, have already failed us. We saw Prime Trust uh, commit pretty massive fraud nobody seems to be talking about. Then the guy, Scott, from uh, Prime Trust went over and started Fortress. They lost $15 million of customers' money. These are the custodians for the exchanges. Um, so I think for a lot of them, they either need an ETF or they need to see BNY Mellon or State Street and, and those custodying uh, these assets for them to feel safe. But there really are a lot of people who literally just don't have a way, especially institutions, to buy Bitcoin spot directly. And a lot of people, frankly, don't want to be custodians. So I think that um, at the end of the day, this is just a much more uh, familiar and viewed as safe asset, especially if you have the name BlackRock on it, for, for most people. Listen, we would all, I think, love uh for everybody who buys bitcoin to do it for the ethos of self-custody and being your own bank and opting out of the fiat system but the reality is that 99 percent of people are going to view it as an investment at least at first uh so if an etf or or gbtc or whatever it is has to be their gateway then so be it i think that we should encourage that but i think you know even if it just comes down to people going to their uh, investment advisor and saying, how do I add Bitcoin? 99% of those investment buyer uh, advisors who have a fiduciary responsibility aren't going to be able to answer that question in a great manner. And buy a ETF is a very simple solution to that. And there's probably a lot more reasons, to be honest, just off the top of my head, I think that's it. I think it's just that uh, whether we believe in this system or not, uh, those are trusted entities. Oh, and by the way, you'll be insured.
<laughs> so I think yeah, look, I, I have to tend to agree with your analysis. And I think one of the big ways that, that blockchain and crypto win is when users are playing with it, but they don't even know that they're playing with blockchains. So I, I can oh, see that, the logic of that. That's the definite. That's the definition of mainstream adoption. But forget, forget, forget Bitcoin spot ETF or Bitcoin. The fact that we have to say proof of stake, proof of work, NFT, DeFi, RWA is real world assets means that we're not there yet. Right. And the, the only way that we achieve mainstream adoption is when the mainstream doesn't know that they're adopting it. When it's the underlying technology, you don't look at your iPhone and think, how the hell am I making this call? You don't look at the Internet and think, how the hell is this magic uh, message being sent to someone on the other side of the world in real time? When we're not talking about the blockchain or the technology underlying will be the only time when we have meaningful mainstream adoption. I think that that's 100 percent accurate. Rand, can you hear us? I can Are indeed, sir. I, I can Good. indeed, sir. I'm back. Good. I, mean, I wanted I to chime in. Yeah, I just wanted to chime in about one thing that I think the ETF really does, the wrapper. So ETF stands for Exchange Traded Fund. It's just a fund that's listed on an exchange. It could be the New York Stock Exchange, NASDAQ, any of the exchanges um, in the U.S. or even global ETFs trade around the world on all these different exchanges. But I think the key thing is it creates a QSIP. It QSIPs the market. Um, for instance, you know, when the mortgage market started trading, it wasn't QSIPed originally. It was not investable outside of, you know, sophisticated institutional investors that had access to mortgages. Mortgages are really, really complicated, especially in the US, because homeowners are long the option to prepay. So mortgages, when they were QSIPed, then they became added to indices. And the world has moved so far into passive, quantitative, and model building. I think having a QCIPT product, whether it's you know Bitcoin, uh, NFTs, crypto, I mean, I QCIPT interest rate volatility in my fund, you know, that makes it investable and accessible for the models, the index, and it just kind of puts you more mainstream in terms of access, because a lot of people just would not necessarily open a crypto wallet or, and a lot of institutional investors can't do that. But when you make it a QSIP, it becomes something that's investable and something that everyone can see and can track easily in terms of the price and I, access. I love that. And I, taxes I love that. too. I think taxes yeah. are really important. The ETF wrapper is so efficient in terms of taxes it's way better than, you know, they're all ETFs are part of 1940-act funds. So mutual funds are 1940-act funds, but they're not tax efficient. So if you buy like a mutual fund today, you're going to pay the capital gains tax on the past, you know, 10 months of trading, even though you were not a beneficiary. So ETFs really are sort of the newer 1940-act fund, and they're very tax efficient. I don't know about the tax treatment for, oh, it's know. the worst. But, the tax treatment of Bitcoin and crypto trading is literally absurd. It's the, uh, the, the it's so laughable when you hear politicians talk about the tax benefits of being a crypto trader, and they don't see that we're paying taxes sometimes three times on one transaction. It, it's it's absurd. I, I love your point about taxes because that alone is such a headache in, in this uh, space and is ever evolving, right? The way that yeah, it's handled, even so it's almost... Taxes can be really complicated. Like, for instance, in my ETF, we own um, about 700, over $700 million of a Bloomberg TIPS index. So these are treasury inflation protected securities. These are just treasury bonds. But TIPS are 
really complicated from a tax point of view because you have to pay income tax as an individual if you own the ta- if you own a tip on the phantom income that's kicked out from the inflation protected notes. So I think the ETF wrapper really simplifies. It makes it a QCIP and it makes the taxes more of the funds burden and not the individual's burden. So I think those are just two added benefits of the ETF wrapper generally. I'm here for the QCIP. Rand, that means we have to now do a spaces I just realized on as we know, BlackRock is uh, primarily an indexing business and ETFs, right? Is the inevitability of crypto index ETFs from oh, BlackRock after they get a after they get a Bitcoin approval? For sure. I mean, there's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. There's the ETH one coming next, or there's already applications in the Grayscale ones in uh, Ox got their uh, ETH because because the SEC. Um, have approved ETH futures ETFs. If they don't approve, approve ETH spot ETFs, it's going to be capricious. And we wouldn't want to be capricious twice. Can't be arbitrary. You cannot be arbitrary more than once. Everybody does. No, you can't. You can't. I mean, that's, 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 once you've been arbitrary once, you can't do it twice. So, so when, do we get, when, when do we get the uh, meme, coin, uh, meme coin index ETF for BlackRock? That, uh, yeah, so, that yeah, so I'm hearing, I'm hearing rumors waiting. that that there's a Pepe, uh, a Pepe ETF coming soon. And I'm, I'm joking, guys. There's no <laughs> Only ETF. dogs. Only yeah. dogs in the first one. Guys, yeah. sorry. The, no dog, the, dog, the dog ETF. The dog ETF. It's, it's coming. Guys, I think that we uh, covered it well, Rand. Do you agree? We're, we're good. Listen, Scott, yeah. if you want to do, a, if you want to do a, a spaces in the middle of the night, I'm going to give you my other number. Just call me and I'll join you. I, I, I will do that. Uh, that was all. Uh, actually, it was funny. It was Donish who messaged me and said, I want to do a spaces because I think if Bitcoin's going up, it means the world is ending in, uh, in true Donish uh, fashion. Uh, and then Mario, came, I guess, cut short his uh, spaces on politics and started. I was actually only there for a bit of it, but man, it, it was big and it, it was really, uh, really nice. It, the, when you're a breaking news spaces and you're actually there for the breaking news, things go things go very well. I want to say, everybody, please follow that big red logo that's hosting this crypto underscore town hall. Uh, you'll see that if you look at the account, um, they chose to put the most uh, handsome and engaging of the three hosts in, in the front. Uh, that's me. Um, maybe not. I don't know why they did that. But uh, if you want to get the alerts on what's happening with these spaces, that's where you need to be. Also, you'll notice that that account will give you all of the breaking news summarized that you need. So it's more than just uh, these spaces. It'll give you uh, really highlights on what's happening with the market. Also, follow our guests, even Gordon, Andrew, Gordon, Gordon, Andrew, whatever his name was, Gordon, uh, because you need to follow people with contrarian opinions. But if we let people up on stage, generally, that means we really like them. And these are the people that we look to as well. Ran any final thoughts? Don't worry, I can't cut you off. Like, uh, like I want to, I want to just. I, I, I think final thoughts. I want to just read you a message that that Gordon sent to me. Um, he says, "This is an echo chamber of Uber bulls excited about a three-day price move. I wish you guys great luck. History is not on your side." Um, I don't think he wishes us great luck. To be honest, I think that's no. I just don't think he, I don't think we're excited about a three-day price move. I think we're excited about the best-performing asset class this year. I think we might be excited about the best performing asset class in the last 10 years. Um, I mean, again, like I'm really happy to have debates and I, and I encourage debates with people who are not crypto people, but they're going to be based on logic and we cannot be arguing like fools because that's not what crypto town hall is about. 100% agree. I think that was a, 
handled well. Yeah. All right, everybody, we are going to be back tomorrow, 10, 15 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And if Bitcoin goes straight to 50,000, we'll sign on in the middle of the night, right? Otherwise, guys, that's all we got for you. Thank you so much. See you tomorrow. Bye. <laughs> nice applause.